Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you as we open up on a big show today on Raider Nation Radio. 9.20 a.m. and on the Raiders team app on the mobile app and LasVegasSportsNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. We're brought to you by PT's, the best happy hour in town. As I talk to them today, they get you all set up for draft parties. You want to have a draft party? They're fantastic at fantasy drafts, which they have all these specials going on. But I'm talking watching the NFL draft a week from Thursday and Friday. If you don't have plans, if you don't have a seat in a casino, if you're looking, bring your friends to PT's 64 locations right here in the Valley. They'll have happy hour. They'll have great food, pricing. Everything will be great. Head on out to PT's to watch the NFL draft next weekend starting on Thursday. Lincoln Kennedy will join us at 1.30, the great former tackle for the silver and black. Also, Paul Gutierrez joins me here in about 15 minutes. Stick around for that. Keith Moody, former cornerback and Super Bowl champion, for the Raiders, and next hour, the Big O, Orlando Azulgari from Miami, uh, probably the best sports talk host in Miami, and he'll have a lot to say on the Dolphins, who have two high picks, and how it could affect the Raiders' pick coming up in the draft. But I want to begin today, obviously, with what happened yesterday, after the conviction, what happened in the trial, the verdict of Derek Chauvin, and then the tweet uh, from the Raiders' team app from Mark Davis, I can breathe. I was on the air yesterday when we were waiting for the verdict and it didn't come until I ended the show. I was out running errands. I saw the verdict and when I came back afterwards, I was getting ready for my night show that I do every night on Sirius XM and then I saw the Raiders tweet and there was a lot of blowback after the tweet. To begin, most people don't have Twitter. The majority of the people, majority of the people in this country don't have Twitter. So let me reset this for those who aren't aware of exactly what happened yesterday Quickly after the verdict in the George Floyd murder case, Mark Davis took responsibility for the tweet, which appeared on the team's official Twitter site. And after it went viral, there was tremendous pushback by media and fans from around the country. He talked to our teammate here at Lotus, Ed Graney, from the Las Vegas Review-Journal and said, quote, I don't want anyone in the organization taking heat. I take full responsibility for that. He added that he was listening to the George Floyd verdict when his brother spoke up and said, today, we are able to breathe again. Quote from Mark Davis, I took my lead from him. In my mind, that was all I needed to say is I can breathe. Mark Davis went on to tell The Athletic, if I offended the family, then I'm deeply, deeply disappointed. Mark Davis was also not aware that New York Police Department supporters wore I Can Breathe shirts following the killing of Eric Garner in 2014. His quote to The Athletic, I was not aware of that. Absolutely, I had no idea of that. I can see where this could bring some negativity towards what I said about that. He also said, it's not an apology. I'm not embarrassed by what I said, but I did learn something new. So my opinion on what happened yesterday was what Mark Davis tweeted was not malice. Mark Davis has a tremendous track record with diversity and trying to wipe out social injustice. 
I really believe, knowing Mark well over 20 years, that that is actually his legacy. His legacy to me, and anyone who knows Mark will tell you this first, he learned from the upbringing from his mom and dad, and he walks the walk on this issue when it comes to social justice 24-7-365. And that's who he's always been, and I think that's who he's going to be going forward for the rest of his life. Even his harshest critics would tell you that. Now, yesterday, for everybody here, was a highly emotional day for the majority of people in this country, and many spoke, wrote, and tweeted on emotion and their instant reaction to the verdict. That tweet is something that Mark, I'm sure, will continue to explain to many in the days and months to come. That's who he is. Paul Gutierrez is about to join us here in 10 minutes. He spoke to Mark Davis about the tweet and the initial tweet, and he had a deep conversation with him, and he'll join us here in a little bit. What I thought was responsible journalism by Paul Gutierrez, he reminded and tweeted out what Mark Davis said immediately following the killing of George Floyd last summer. Quote, I think justice was served, Davis said. It's rare I make statements about anything, and if I thought it offended the Floyd family, I would feel very badly and apologize. Other than that, I'm not apologizing. I honestly believe after listening to his brother, this is a day that we can all breathe. Now, going back to what happened initially when the news broke on the killing last summer, quote, to watch a man be murdered by a uniformed police officer kneeling on a man's throat for nine minutes while three uniformed police officers either assisted or stood by watching is disturbing in too many ways. To be honest, I'm surprised that the resulting violence hadn't been much worse. Emotions are high. The temperature is hot. And there is static in the air. But burning your brother's house down is ultimately not the answer. Not only do we have to tell people there is something wrong, we have to come up with solutions. That's the challenge in front of us, not only as Americans, but as human beings. Mark Davis on the Raiders' side after the murder of George Floyd. So there is a lot to this. Josh Dubrow from the AP uh, tweeted out earlier today the reaction from George Floyd's brother, Philanese, on the Raider tweet yesterday. Quote, on behalf of our family, I would like to extend our deepest gratitude to the Las Vegas Raiders organization and its leadership for their support of our family and for our nation's ongoing pursuit of justice and equality for all. Now more than ever, we must come together as one and continue in this fight. For the first time in almost a year, our family has taken a breath, and I know that goes for so many across the nation and globe as well. Let's take a breath together in honor of my big brother who couldn't. Let's do it for George. So that is a direct quote from George Floyd's brother and the family on the tweet from the Raiders. Look, I'm not the guy to talk about tweeting. I'm not very good at it. I, I screw up five times a day before breakfast. Mark Davis made the tweet. He made it on his own. He took ownership of it. I know Mark very well. I know Mark off the football field. I know him in real life. And I know that his legacy is diversity. And that's what he cares about more than anything. He wants to win a Super Bowl, and he wants to make the lives of others easier. And he's donated a lot of money, and he's walked the walk. His best friend in life was Cliff Branch, and his second best friend is arguably George Atkinson. 
Marcel Reese is someone you see him with often now, and he elevated Marcel Reese into a leadership role with the organization because of the a lot of events that are surrounding this country now and the leadership that Marcel Reese has from all the conversations he's had with Mark Davis and around the organization and around the country. So this is a Mark Davis issue. Mark Davis owned it yesterday. I know that there were a lot of people that initially looked at the tweet, were confused by it, because they were used to seeing, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, and then they said, I can breathe. Again, he meant no harm. He meant no malice. If you didn't like the tone of the tweet, if you didn't think the timing was right, I respect your opinion. But understand who Mark Davis is going forward, and more and more people are understanding that. It is tough to put something out on Twitter and get a complete positive response or mostly a negative response. People are going to have opinions all over. And it's your right to have an opinion on this issue. But I will tell you this much. It is easy for me to defend Mark Davis when it comes to diversity and social justice. I've seen it. I've been with him. I know that that's a priority in his life is to help others and to make sure that there's a quality all around the world, especially in the United States, especially with issues that result with what's happening on the streets in America today, especially with the killing of George Floyd. He took the lead from George Floyd's brother, who we heard at the press conference and reacted that way, taking the lead and paraphrasing from his brother. He meant well. He did not mean any harm. If it came across that way, I'm sure Mark Davis will address that down the road because Mark Davis addresses everything with every person in front of him when they ask him a question. So more reaction on this. It was a big, big story yesterday, and everybody was talking about it. I spent three hours on my national show with it last night. For those wondering if I was going to talk about it, give me a break. That's what I do for a living. So last night on my radio show on Sirius XM, Reggie Jackson the, one of the greatest baseball players of all time, was listening to the conversation, and he called in to me. Reggie, I appreciate you calling in on such a big, serious night. The floor is yours. How are you? Hey, my friend. I'm great. I just wanted to support and back uh, you up with your comments about Mark Davis, um, such a dear friend of mine. He and I were born on the same day. I was very close friends with his dad. And um, so him and I are going to celebrate our birthday here uh, in May. But uh, it's I got I can't believe that someone responded to his tweet the way they did. Um, it, it, it's I can breathe now that this guy uh, Coven was that his name has mm-hmm. been taken care of and put away. Finally, a verdict. So it's just a play on words of finally I've been holding my breath forever for something to come out that is positive and gives an indication that things are going to turn around and get headed in the right direction um, with social justice and fairness and being able to recognize that all lives do matter. In this situation, as being a black man like myself, Obviously, I've got Latin blood in me. My middle name is Martinez. But for people of color um, to finally get some justice, it's like I can take a breath now because this has the fulfillment of fair justice in this situation has been taken care of. So 
for someone to misinterpret that, I mean, it's, it's gosh, we've got some issues here in the country, you know, as you stated and as everybody has stated, but it is so nice to see um, all races come together and nothing will get changed without the white man helping us with change. And I'm so happy to see things turning and heading in the direction that they are. Um, I spend a lot of time now with diversity and inclusion and whether I'm doing stuff for Houston, Houston Astros or whether it's JP Morgan or whether it's FedEx or whether it's the Parts Authority or the Rick Hendrick group in, in, in the Carolinas, there are so many people that want to make change. And Mark Davis is building a university on about 80 to 100,000 square feet to educate minorities, African-Americans, first and foremost. It's going to be named after his dad and the great grambling coach. Um, give me the name Eddie of the Robinson. great grambling Eddie Robinson. It's going to be the Eddie Robinson uh, Al Davis uh, University to teach minorities and instruct and nurture them in becoming uh, executives in the National Football League. Now, that's what this guy's doing with his own money. Um, and uh, he's got me on a couple of boards and helping him with diversity and inclusion. But this guy's focused is, his focus is dead on. And I heard him clearly when he said, now I can finally breathe that something good has been done to give us the right direction of the kind of punishments that's necessary. Reggie Jackson joins us. Reggie, I want to jump in and ask you about social media because everybody who knows you and knows your great career and what you've done for diversity, when there is a moment like this and people start going to Twitter, do you recommend this? Because Mark Davis did not take down the tweet. He's standing by what he said, but he also said that he's learned from this and he went on to clarify his opinion about what actually happened here. Where do you stand on social media when something happens so quickly and people, celebrities, owners, players want to instantly react? Well, I think you have to be able to read what you're saying when you're writing it. And that's not an easy thing to do. I've been very fortunate with the media. I've certainly been misinterpreted and misquoted at times. Um, for sure, and got myself in trouble for sure. Um, But you must read while you're writing and be able to understand that most people uh, deal with anywhere from 8th to 10th grade education, uh, that you're really writing for a different audience and to be so very careful. When I put something out there, I usually send it to some other people first, before I go on social media. Uh, but this time here, I'm speaking now to a person that I know um, what he meant when he was saying it. All right, so that was Reggie Jackson calling in to me last night on the tweet from Mark Davis that's up on the Raiders' site. So it's a complex situation. As I said and opened up the show, I know Mark Davis and I know where his heart is especially when it comes to issues like this, and he meant no harm. He meant no malice. It was a a play on words, I can breathe, and I know what he meant. And for those who are critical of him, I'm not here to change your opinion. 
Uh, Mark can handle it. Just like I tell you with John Gruden, if you're critical of play calling, he can handle it. I'm just here to run a radio show and take your calls and take your opinions on this. But I understand where Mark Davis comes from, and I think the majority of Raider fans and people around the league understand where he's coming from. 702-365-9200. Paul Gutierrez joins us from ESPN. And, Paul, you talked to Mark Davis last night. Tell us how that conversation ensued. Yeah, JT, thanks for having me. It's a uh, pretty big shoes to follow when you're following Mr. October, right? And it's still April. So, uh, But, it, you know, it, it was interesting talking to Mark because I've had numerous conversations over the years with him when we've talked just off the record about social justice things, about uh, things needing to change in society. So when that tweet came out, the first thing that came into my mind was, okay, this is coming straight, straight from the top. This is Mark Davis's words. I know his name was not on it, but I, I know how the situation and how the system works. He wanted that out there because – to be truthful, JT, when the verdict came down, he was one of the first people I thought of and how what his reaction was going to be. And I thought of calling him just to see if he had a reaction or a statement, and I, and I did not. I had other things going on in my personal life. So when that came out, that's the first thing I thought. When I saw exactly what it said, I went, ooh, that, uh, that's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way when you don't have the context. Uh, again, I thought I didn't listen to the brother's speech yesterday. But I thought he must have heard the brother say something, and he's having to play on words with that. And sure enough, that's what he was. He was it was unbeknownst to him that uh, in one of the numerous other, the myriad other police shootings of, of uh, black men across the country, that some rogue NYPD officers wore T-shirts that said, I can breathe, to mock victims of police brutality. So that's where it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And then when, when Mark acknowledged that he, he learned something, but he was standing by his, his, uh, his statement, that rubbed people wrong there, too, that uh, he wouldn't take it down, that he was just doubling down. And, and it was nothing like that in, in talking to him. I don't want to speak for him. I can only tell you what he told me for the news article that I wrote um, and that he was just going to keep it up there because that's how he felt. And, and I don't even know if vindication is the right word, because how do you get vindicated over something as terrible as this tragedy that occurred? But for the family to come out today and to thank the Raiders and to thank Mark Davis for their support uh, over the past year in this thing. Uh, that that kind of shows that they knew exactly where he was coming from as well. So, like you said, you're not here to change anybody's mind or opinion, but you want context, and that's what we try to do in this industry, right? We want context. We want everybody to know exactly the full picture. That way they can then make a fully educated decision about where to go from there. Paul Gutierrez joins us. We're a little over a week from the draft. Let's get to football in your opinion now on all the mock drafts that are coming out. I'm seeing you the right tackle, Micah Parsons, if he drops that far, maybe Morig the safety. I think it's really important that they get another defensive player. When you and I were hanging out three months ago, five months ago, six months ago, you were coming on with us live from Allegiant Stadium on the pregame show. The problem was the defense, and they did a lot in the offseason. So talk about the upgrades they made on the defensive line, which should help the defensive backfield. But, Paul, I still think they got a lot of holes on defense that they got to plug up before they can go offense. How do you see it? Yeah, and, and it's not just that they have holes to plug. They've got to learn how to play in a new system. I mean, this is a brand-new system coming in with Gus Bradley, the architect of the Legion of Boom, right? And, and they've got some young guys. They've got some hitters. They've got Jonathan Abram, you know, Damon Arnett, uh, Trayvon Mullen. They've got a lot of young guys in the secondary, but they need to learn how to become pros. And that's not a shot at them, their mentality or anything like that. They just need to learn how to become professionals. And I think that's what Carl Joseph brings back. Now, there's a lot of people who thought that he didn't really live up to his billing as a first-rounder either. But he's got the experience. He knows when to take that shot, so to speak. He knows when to lay off. He knows how to be a leader. So that's going to help in the secondary. And it may actually make them feel more comfortable with using that first pick at 17 if that's where they stay. 
on a safety, in my opinion, because you've got that you, you can now – you're not just simply adding another young gun to the back of that secondary because you've got some guys back there now. Um, right tackle is a huge, huge, huge need, but they've also got some bodies. And then on the defensive line, yeah, they did add a bunch of defensive tackles. But is that guy from uh, Alabama sitting there whose name escapes me at this moment? I don't know how you pass on him either because if you have this mentality of best defensive player at 17 and then find that right tackle later, I think that's what you have to do. Paul Gutierrez, yeah, I'm confused about this or a little concerned is the right word about finding a starting right tackle later on. I don't think you can do that. Uh, You'd like to because that would be a developmental player in the second or third round where you bring in, you know he's not instantly going to start, especially with the lack of OTAs and the ability to practice, and you're going to develop that player. At 17, I've been saying this player, offensive defense or defense, must start, and he must be an impact player. We didn't see that with Cleveland Farrell. We haven't seen it yet with Arnett and Jonathan Abrams. So when I look at these right tackles, I think Rashawn Slater will be gone. Penny Sewell's going to be gone. And then I look right. at Christian Darasaw and then Tevin Jenkins of Oklahoma State, and I'm starting to come to grips that these guys can play right now. And on top of that, they have Tom Cable, arguably the best position coach in the league on the offensive line who can get him up the speed. And, Paul, that would be the bookend on the other side with Colton Miller, who was extended. So I think the better value is right tackle. But Micah Parsons, they need a badass alpha coming out of that <laughs> locker room who can yeah. tackle people in space and, and blow up a play, and I know he can do it. Yeah, and that, that's the dilemma. I mean, if, if Parsons is sitting there at 17, I don't know how you pass on him, unless, of course, the off-the-field stuff really bothers you enough to where you say, eh, we don't need to add this to this already young and impressionable locker room. But you're right. I mean, these first-rounders they've taken over the past year, it's been, what, six of them? And only one has really solidified himself as a pro bowler in, in Josh Jacobs. So they, they've, got a, they've got a strike. And it's a, it's a weird place when you're drafting at 17 because you're legitimately right in the middle of that first round. And you're not you're not supposed to get an impact player, but but do you draft for 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 need for specific need, or do you draft best player available? And, and it, to me, it all comes back to the conversations we've had over the years with Tom Flores, who's going into Canton, rightfully so, this summer. Uh, you know, he used to tell me, "Look, if you're drafting in the top ten, you don't have the luxury of drafting for need because if you're in the top ten, you got needs all over the place." At 17, it's going to be interesting because they got needs all over that defense, but they've got real and specific needs at right tackle, and you need somebody to step in there right away. And as you were mentioning, if you, it's a second rounder or a third rounder, he should be able to start, right? Well, what round did Brandon Parker get selected in uh, two years ago? Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, you know, you're nailing this because I look, yeah. at, I look at urgency, I look at depth, and I think they, they covered off on some depth on defense. I really do. I, one of the things that I think Raider fans aren't giving Mayock and Gruden enough credit for is the amount of bodies that they added who could pop. There's going to be a couple of these players on the defensive line that could play at a high level. If Solomon Thomas has a big year, I don't think anybody's going to be shocked. But if he doesn't have a big year, people are going to say, well, that's why he's bouncing around the league. But when it comes to sure. this defense, I truly believe that it's all about the scheme. And the last question I'm going to ask you, have you heard this from talking to fans and people in your peers around the league, that this Gus Bradley system is going to be so different than Paul Gunther's that he's going to be able to get more out of the players he already has on this roster? Well, just by definition, it has to be, right? I mean, it, it, mm. it's a cover three, uh, so you got to ha- you have to have playmakers. you got to have guys that are flying to the ball all over the place. Paul Gunther's defense is really predicated on having that monster at nose tackle and that monster middle linebacker, and he never really had those pieces either. So just based on what Gus Bradley's past is, what he's been able to do, and of course you got the, uh, an all-world 
secondary with the Legion of Boom back there. That made it a lot easier too, right? Well, mm-hmm. they've got pieces. They've got a lot of guys. They need somebody to really step to the forefront to show, like you said, to be that alpha in there. And uh, I'm still waiting to see what's going on with Richard Sherman because that would not shock me at all if he came in to be that mentor and he's still got a little juice left. Absolutely. Paul, after your conversation with Mark Davis, thanks for leading off our show. We greatly appreciate it. Sounds good, JT. Thanks. Paul Gutierrez, ESPN. So your reaction to that as we opened up the show, talking about the tweet, uh, talking about football, and we'll get into more football throughout the show, 702-365-9200. Madro and Vegas, start us off on Raider Nation Radio. Go ahead. Hey, JT. You know, I only call in on two different radio shows, period, because there's pretty much only two hosts that I respect. You're one of them. I always talk about football and football alone, but in this case, I decided, you know what, this uh, Davis tweet thing, first of all, I don't get how anybody could have misinterpreted it, whether you know Mark Davis or not. I've I've known Mark Davis since I'm nine years old. I'm 70. Um, My family goes back with the Davis family a long time. Point is, Mark is probably, uh, I I know he's not probably, he's a, a completely different owner than any of the other 31. He is more empathetic to humanity period than anybody may be in sport. And uh, one thing I'm grateful for, though, is that the family of George Floyd, George Floyd's younger brother, actually thanked the Raider organization, Mark Davis, because you know what? That is the kind of support that Mark is always and 100% available for on so many different levels. But anyway, uh, next time I call in, it'll be football, and Mark does not need... Uh, me to defend him or anybody else because I'm telling you this guy is a man unto himself. Yeah, thanks for the call. I think I think a lot of people understand that, and that's the good thing about the legacy of Mark Davis and what he's trying to do. He's been a controversial owner because he moved a team. He moved a team, and that is always going to be controversial no matter who you are. And most Raider fans understand how much better the situation is for the team, the organization, and for everybody with this brand-new stadium in Vegas. But that's always going to put him as a lightning rod. And then this yesterday, because of the reaction, the reaction was so quick to the tweet. And so many people reacted so quickly because they felt like they had to get in line and make a reaction that a lot of it was negative in the beginning. But I think today it's changed a bit from the family of George Floyd and their reaction, especially George Floyd's brother. But again, everybody's got to live by their tweets. I host a radio show five hours a day. Five hours I'm on radio. I've seen a lot of people get in trouble during this time since last summer and the killing of George Floyd. I've seen very good radio hosts lose their jobs. People in the industry lose their jobs because of tweets. Mark Davis understood the tweet he sent out. I can breathe because he was sympathetic and he was in favor of the verdict and what happened and sympathetic to the Floyd family in a time where they needed support. If it didn't go over perfectly in a lot of people's minds... It has nothing to do with me. I can't change that either way. But Mark Davis spoke to a lot of people, and I'm sure he's going to be speaking to more. Uh, coming up next, once a Raider, always a Raider, as we'll talk to former corner Keith Moody, Lincoln Kennedy next hour. You don't want to miss it. Why pay more? They have the super deals you're looking for. Let's be patient. 
but to trust our board because we've done all the work. We really don't care what anybody outside our building thinks. We're just we have one goal, and that's that's winning the Super Bowl. And at the end of the day, nothing else matters. Mike Mayock is he's coming into another draft with the silver and black with John Gruden. It's a big one. Raiders have the 17th pick overall. Once a Raider, always a Raider, as we talk to former Raiders. And this gentleman won a Super Bowl, part of the Super Bowl 15 World Championship Oakland Raiders. And he's kind enough to join us here, former defensive back Keith Moody. Keith, good to talk to you again. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you? I'm great. My pleasure. Uh, you know, at my age, it's great to be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've seen you on the Zoom calls, and you're really, you're really tight with your former teammates, and this was a great run that you had. Take me back from high school into college. You were a Syracuse man where Al Davis went, Jim Brown played football there, Larry Zonka. Such great tradition out of Syracuse before you were drafted in the 10th round in the 1976 draft. When did you think you had a shot to play in the NFL on Sundays? Um, well, it was probably uh, not until my senior year. We had a change of coaching staff. I started out with uh, Ben Swartzwalter as our coach, and he retired. And then this young guy, um, Mahoney, took over. And he had a lot of um, pro workout techniques for us and a lot of schemes that were similar to the pros. The DB coach at that point told me, since I ran a four three forty, that I might have at least the speed to be able to play at the next level. So interesting time for you. You come out of Syracuse, you get drafted by the Buffalo Bills, play from 76 to 79. The Raiders were the, one of those teams that decade, playing in the biggest games. They finally broke through in the 76 season and won the Super Bowl in January of 77. How did you vision that team from your view in Oakland from where you were in Buffalo with the Bills? Well, Oakland always was the dominant force during that era. And so as a Bills player who was on a team, well, four teams that really struggled, I was very envious of the Raiders. And then just through fate, I ended up uh, going to the Raiders in that 1980 season, um, primarily to run back punts and kickoffs. I'd had some success at that at Buffalo. So uh, Ortmeier brought me in, gave me a workout and a tryout, and then uh, they signed me. And it was the year that we ran the table. So I was just very fortunate, very honored to join a, a really proud trend, uh, tradition at the Raiders. Keith Moody is our guest, former Raider champion. So that must have been interesting. Al Davis is counting on, on you for special teams. Also, you're a defensive back. You have speed. What was it like when you came to the team? First time in the locker room? Or was it training camp when you looked around at all these Mavericks and all these guys who you knew won a championship and were trying to get back year after year again? And now you're looking at the second era of that team, coming off the Stabler years into the Plunkett years. What was that like? Well, the Raiders were always a group of uh, teams with character and characters. So, uh... You know, I would go there and see things that I never saw in Buffalo. Matuzak uh, and Hendricks one day around Halloween wore um, Bozo the Clown mask under their helmets. I mean, those kind of things just never happened in Buffalo. So it was a kind of a loose um, feeling over there. You know, pe- people were laid back, and they, uh, they were also very confident. So the Raiders believed they were going to win. I mean, obviously everyone knows Al's motto back then was just win, baby. And that's the way the Raiders felt. They felt they were going to win it all, all the time. 
Take me on the championship run and when you thought you can get it done from the big plays on the road in the postseason. We talked about that on the championship Zoom call, which you were on. There was a, it was a make-or-break year, a big speech. Uh, uh, let's pull this together. Let's go on a run. When you go back in your life and think about that moment with that players-only meeting and how you had to save the season and turn it around, do you still use that motivation today? Well, I think it is quite a motivation. It is a story. We were two and three, and Pastorini had broken his leg, so Plunkett was going to take over at that point. And I think a lot of people thought, okay, time to write the Raiders off for this season. And that was kind of the turning point in my mind when Plunkett stepped in, and he just had a tremendous run. I think we won 13 of the next 15, including the the playoffs. So uh, that was pivotal, having the team come together and just say, okay, let's not go in the tank. Let's go ahead and excel. Let's make a commitment to excellence and get it done. You know, Keith, not a lot of players in the history of sports can say they were a part of something like that, two and three, and then running the table and being a team that could go through and wild card win that way and play the games that you played where every game it felt like it was a do-or-die game the entire way. Did you feel that pressure or was it loose because these players, some of them have been there before and they felt they could get back there again? I think it was uh, primarily loose. I mean, there was pressure, but... The Raiders players always seem to handle it real well. Uh, we're the first wild card team to run the table. So until yeah. it happened, we really didn't know how significant it was to do that. You know, we had to win two games on the road. We, we actually got one, the first wild card game at home against Houston. But then we had to win two on the road at Cleveland, 37 below zero. And then in San Diego, 75 degrees. So we, we had about a 100 degree temperature span from one week to the next. Uh, one moment that sticks out in my mind was the interception by Mike Davis in the Cleveland uh, win. He uh, had to make a, quite a play and make a diving catch in the end zone. They had tried a field goal earlier, so they thought they'd take one shot before they kicked the winning field goal, and he made, to me, the play of the season. Red Right 88, it's legendary. It will always be in Raider history. Wrapping it up with former defensive back Keith Moody, once a Raider, always a Raider a member, a proud member of the Super Bowl 15 championship team. Keith, what did you think for, of the 30 for 30 on Al Davis and Pete Rozelle when you look back and the tension around the league and what Mr. Davis was dealing with at that point in time? It sure seemed like you had a lot of detractors around the league that didn't want you to win that Super Bowl. Yeah, it was us against the world, and you know Al let us know that. And I think Al handled it so well and, and with so much poise that the team just followed suit. You know, the Raider players were not going to be intimidated. Al wasn't going to be intimidated. We felt we were one of the top teams and top organizations. And that, you know, we had been kind of slighted with a lot of different distractions and negativities. So we had to rise above that and elevate our game, elevate our preparation and elevate our game performance. And with Al's leadership and Coach Flory's leadership, the players just followed suit, and I think we proved that we were still the top organization. Wrapping it up with Keith Moody. Keith, what are you doing today? Because I know from Buffalo to the Raiders, a stint with the New Jersey Generals, a little bit of coaching. Uh, what's going on in your life today? Well, in my life today, I'm retired. I'm a big-time fisherman. I've got a boat up at Lake Mead. I like to get up there and fish a lot. And just visiting the family, I've got a new uh, grandson, six months old. So, uh, you know, spending time with him, just in kind of enjoying uh, the fruits of my labors. 
But um, after football, I had the good fortune of having a background in education. So I went on and became a high school principal for 15 years. And uh, that really taught me a lot about just being able to be organized and be a good leader. And so I'm trying to do that for my family right now, be a leader to all my kids and all my grandkids. Keith, finally, once a Raider, always a Raider. What does it mean to you to be a Raider? It's uh, an extreme honor. You know, it made me really proud to have been in the National Football League. In my first four years in Buffalo, I think we won like three or four games a season. It was like the post-OJ era, so we didn't have a lot. So I, I had kind of a bitter taste in my mouth about football. But after the Raiders, now I really feel proud that I participated and was, I was part of a first-class organization that did everything in a first-class manner and still does that today. I think Mark is following all the traditions in terms of being a first-class owner and a first-class organization. And that means a lot to the players. It makes them want to really elevate their game. Thank you, Keith. It's an honor, pleasure to talk to you. I hope to see you often at Allegiant Stadium this year. Thanks for coming on. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. What a class act, Keith Moody. Former Raiders Super Bowl 15 champion uh, from the Buffalo Bills before that Syracuse and got a ring and really helped out that team and was a special teams player and played defensive back. You know, everybody makes up a team. And he caught a big break getting out of Buffalo, as he said, post-OJ to come to the Raiders and catch on with one of the most famous teams in NFL history. The first team ever to win a Super Bowl as a wild card team. 702-365-9200. Let's head out to the Raider man on Raider Nation Radio. Raider 914 is there. Raider 914, go ahead. JT, how are you? I'm doing well. What's happening? I want to tell. I want to uh, say a few things, and I'm going to hang up. Um, first, I don't. I don't really feel the need that I have to, um, you know, stick up for for Mark Davis. But I do have to say something. Uh, th- this organization, this ownership, has has been in the front of social uh, justice in this country for years. Uh, people need to do some homework before they start killing this guy. Um, I read somebody, uh, one of these tweets or on Twitter, whatever it was, talking about he's a billionaire, an arrogant billionaire. That couldn't be farther from the truth. Mm. This guy is like no other owner that's ever been involved in sports. He hangs out with ex-players. He's, he's anti-elitist, and it's absolute garbage the way people are responding to him. Do a little homework. Figure out who you're actually talking about before you start killing him. Um, and one other thing. I watched some tape on Micah Parsons mm-hmm. and um, the Cormoa linebacker, the two linebackers. Yep. I, I really hope we trade up and, and grab one of these guys. These guys are all over the field. They have more speed than anybody on the field. This, th- these are the guys that we've been um, looking for for years. These are the game changers. These are the guys, guys like this that teams are going to have to plan around during the week. Um, I hope that that, that John, uh, John and Mike uh, Gruden and Mayock are listening to us because th- these are the game changers that we need. Thanks, JP. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, getting back to Mark Davis again, the legacy of diversity and social justice is obvious to everyone. And you know, but not everybody knows the history of the Raiders when they see a tweet and it's retweeted and it's retweeted by TMZ and retweeted by someone else in their world, and they read it and they instantly react, and a lot of the responses are negative, so people want to jump in on the negativity. 
So I understand how Twitter works. I get it. I, I get it. A lot of times your tone doesn't show up. How gracious you are, the humanity that you have, the empathy that you have doesn't show up with your thumbs on Twitter. It never has, and it never will. So I know what Mark stands for, and I think the Raider Nation does too. And I, this, this will move on, and I thought it was really important that the Floyd family came out in defense of the Raiders organization for the tweet, and it meant something to them. That's the family we should be thinking of. George Floyd was murdered. He's no longer here, and his family are the ones left who matter the most. And I think it's important that they acknowledge the Raiders and Mark Davis for that tweet. And not everybody's going to agree with it. I understand that. 702-365-9200. When you look at, I've been telling you from the beginning of this draft process, which has been months for us now, to go trade up, go trade up and get Micah Parsons. Because you won't have to trade up far. You're only trading up from 17 to 10 or 11, most likely 13. It's not a big move up. It's not, it's not like the Raiders have to trade up from 17 to 3 to get a quarterback or 17 to 5 to get a quarterback. They're not doing that. But if Micah Parsons is close and they can get a linebacker that could have that type of impact on the organization, I think the Raider fans will understand it. Even if the Raiders at times, if Micah Parsons or whatever linebacker, edge rusher that they get, if he turns out to be a star in the making, even if the Raiders struggle a little bit on the offensive line, which they could, they've lost Gabe Jackson, Rodney Hudson, and Trent Brown. They could struggle on the offensive line. I think that Raider fans can see past that in the short term and say, well, at least the Raiders have a linebacker who's going to be here for five years under salary control, could be franchise tagged, and be a stud in this league. Because they got to get him somewhere, and they're not getting him in free agency. It's not like Ray Lewis is leaving his contract early or Brian Urlacher leaves his contract early and comes to the Raiders. It's hard. Great linebackers get re-signed, and they stay with their teams. So to get one, you got to hope. I, I really thought, you know, Rolando McClain, when they went after him, he checked all the boxes back then. I was covering that draft. A lot of people were excited about his freakish athletic, athletic ability to go out and make plays, and it didn't work. And with linebackers, you got to make sure they fundamentally can tackle first. How are they in space? Can they tackle one-on-one? -on -one? And if they can do that, then the next thing you look at is their speed. And then thirdly, you look at the way they cover. And you might want to move up covering to second or first. How, do you, how does a great linebacker now cover in space a tight end or a player out of the backfield because it's a passing league? And there's a number of those guys who will be available for the silver and black. 702 365 9,200. I expect to hear from you today. There's a lot happening. Thanks to Keith Moody for joining us. Brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence. Remy Martin. It's either the original sidecar with Remy VSOP, the royal sidecar with Remy 1738. So the next time you order a cocktail, raise your cocktail game with Remy Martin Cognacs. I do on Raider Nation Radio. They win the drop to the slot, and now Theodore around the umbrella left. Patch ready. Stone a slam dunk. He scores. Mark Stone, 2 2 tie. Second power play goal of the game for Mark Stone, and five consecutive multi point performances.
Dan Duva on the call, Knights Radio. What a year for Mark Stone. JT, back with you on Raider Nation Radio, where we talk the Golden Knights all the time, brought to you by Ihole, the new tequila of the JT The Brick Show, and I have a nice bottle on deck for this weekend as one of my best friends is coming into town for his birthday. I got a buddy coming into his town that loves his birthday. You ever have one of those friends who loves his birthday the way a 9- or 10-year-old boy or girl loves their birthday? So my buddy's coming in. We got a good weekend of golf, a couple of good dinners. We're going to go to a, the new best steakhouse. There's two great steakhouses we talk about all the time, Chef Barry's, Barry's Downtown Prime, and now one steakhouse inside Virgin Hotels. Michael Morton and John O'Donnell's new place, uh, the Morton Brothers and the job that they do. So I'm going to be over at the Virgin Hotels over the weekend, the Cosmopolitan, playing golf at Valley High. It's going to be a good weekend. The weather is incredible. And then next week and a long weekend, working Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all events surrounding the Raiders draft, and I cannot wait for that. We just played your Golden Night goal, but there was news today, Robin Leonard's comments about being vaccinated and opening up the NHL and players wanting to have the ability to do more. Here's the goaltender, one of the two, for your Vegas Golden Knights. Some point we got to start looking at the mental health of people around us, not just NHL, but everyone in society and see how can we start getting back to normalcy because the problem is going to be huge. But being lied to us about things changing to kind of force us to take the vaccine, unacceptable. And to now when we have taken the vaccine to have the excuse of saying, nah, it's not, we're not changing because of competitive advantage. It's outrageous. So that is trending right now in the NHL. Robin Leonard, goaltender for the Vegas Golden Knights, very upset, quote, we are vaccinated and we are still trapped in prison. He spoke for over 10 minutes, extremely frustrated and upset. Disappointed with the NHL, who said players were promised COVID quarantine isolation restrictions would ease if they were vaccinated. Which, again, I am not a professional hockey player. I don't know what they were told they could do. But what's happening here now is that professional sports teams are trying to stay COVID free. And with the vaccine, and we're learning more and more about the vaccine, Robin Leonard thinks he's vaccinated now. I don't know if he wanted to get vaccinated, if he thought he had to do it. That's for him to say. There's plenty of sound on that. But he's upset that eases, you know, restrictions hasn't been eased. And he doesn't have more of a life here. And he speaks openly about mental health all the time. And everybody who knows Robin Leonard knows that he's going to speak about those issues when he wants to. You know, the strength of the Golden Knights is they have two elite goaltenders. Elite. Marc-Andre Fleury, the future Hall of Famer who's brilliant, and Robin Leonard, who is signed to a nice big contract because the Knights believe he is a number one elite goaltender. That will be their strength heading into the postseason to get one or the other rest so the other one can play and stay hot. But I think there's going to be a goalie controversy here because one of these goaltenders are going to be playing well. And if he gives up a soft goal or gets beat badly in a critical playoff game, Peter DeBoer is going to have to look to the bench and tell the other guy to go in to save a series. Instead of letting the other goaltender who was in there figure it out on his own. That's coming. That's coming. We all know that. But hopefully the Golden Knights, it doesn't happen late into the playoffs. And they can find a way to win in advance to the Stanley Cup and win the Cup. One hour flew by. Thanks to Paul Gutierrez. Uh, next hour, we got a big hour coming up. Orlando Alzogari on the Dolphins next and Lincoln Kennedy.